Welcome to the Bridge Church Podcast. Our purpose statement at Bridge Church is to reach people where they are and help them grow. We hope today's message inspires you towards growth, and we pray it's life-changing, and we hope to see you soon. Well, welcome back to Bridge. We are glad that you're here, and uh, we are in a season right now where many of us, quite frankly, could use a miracle. And uh, I'm Russell Berry. I'm the teaching pastor here at Bridge Church, and we are glad that you have joined us wherever you might find yourself here today. But one of the things that as we have, you know, really looked directly into this challenge of uh, the coronavirus and this pandemic and, and, and many of the things that we've heard and experienced have, have focused on, and rightly so, the health crisis that is all around us. And at the same time, more and more attention as we are looking at relaxing different social distancing guidelines of the economic crisis that is also transpiring in this moment and in our nation and in our city. We've, over the last week, just on Thursday, announced unemployment um, numbers that um, are in the millions and the likes of which we have not seen in our nation since the worst economic crisis that have hit in the 1920s and the 30s with the Great Depression. And all of us have been impacted in various ways through this, right? This, whether it's just the inconvenience of living and having to work at home, or if it's something as, as deep and significant as not knowing where uh, my next check is coming from, or even having somebody that we're praying for who's fighting for their life or even in many cases, having to say goodbye to someone who has fought and lost that battle. But these, 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 these challenges that we're facing can cause us to feel powerless, right? Our, over our schedules, over the suffering of those around us, and can even create a sense of insignificance. Like, am I significant in the world to God? And John chapter six it reminds us that in the hands of Jesus, the insignificant becomes significant. In the hands of Jesus, the insufficient becomes sufficient. And that's a message that I know I need to hear this week and, and that I want to encourage you with as well. Because in John chapter 6, we see God use the lunchbox of a poor boy to do the miraculous and provide sufficiency for many. And this is a a lesson on provision in the midst of scarcity that I think many of us need to hear today. But John 6 also gives us a warning and a reminder to not to try to make Jesus into our image, but to allow him through crisis to make us into his. So today we're going to explore what God provides in this aspect of God's provision. And we're going to discover that in these few passages, in this one passage, in these few verses that God provides a crisis, he provides an opportunity, he provides provision, he provides abundance, he provides himself, and then lastly, he provides a challenge. So verse one through three, we read, after this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. And a large crowd was following him 
Because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick, Jesus went up on the mountain and there he sat, sat down with his disciples. So we find ourselves in John chapter 6 that the word is out on the street. Jesus heals. They, they have heard about the miracles. They've seen them. In John chapter 5, we see the man that was lame for 38 years. He rises that, that happened out in Jerusalem. Now he comes up to the northern part of the country in Galilee. And the word is on the street is this dude can heal. He can teach. And, and, but the interesting thing is John calls them signs, not just miracles. Signs. Now, y'all, y'all remember there was a time back in the day we used to walk around in the street and look at street signs. Y'all remember that? <laughs> but a street sign, if you were looking for someone's address... You would look up and see the street sign, then you would go to that street, and then you would go house by house because there would be a sign on that house telling you what the address was. And John is giving us the address of the Messiah and the address of who Jesus' identity is through these signs, and he's pointing us to them because the signs, as amazing as they are, are pointing to a greater truth. And in verse chapter four, we get the setting of how he points us to that greater truth. In verse four, it says, now the Passover, the feast of the Jews was at hand. Uh, Actually, just a few weeks ago, Passover just ended. It's a festival that is still celebrated. And in chapter six, we find ourselves in the midst of what is called the festival cycle. It started in chapter 5, and it goes all the way to 10. And in each of these chapters, we find that Jesus speaks into, is into a specific uh, festival, and he interprets or reinterprets that festival through his identity. So in chapter 5, there was the Sabbath, and Jesus heals a man on the Sabbath, and there's controversy about that Sabbath, and then Jesus reveals his identity. I'm God over the Sabbath. In chapter 6, it's the Passover, and what we find is that the Passover is this, it's the greatest and the biggest of all of the Jewish holidays. And it commemorated a, a specific time of deliverance that was always in the cultural memory of their people. In Deuteronomy 8.2, we see uh, Moses give his instructions about how the Passover was to be observed. He says, and you shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness that he might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart whether you would keep his commandments or not. So what happened was, so we know that the key moment, the Passover kind of commemorates the last of the uh, plagues that uh, in this fight between uh, Pharaoh and Egypt and God, where Pharaoh would refuse to let the people go. And then God would announce a plague. And that last plague, God announces to Moses, put blood on the, uh, the blood of a, a spotless lamb on the doorpost of every house so that the angel of death could pass over. And so they were supposed to eat a meal there and commemorate that. But then as the years went on, Right. Because after that incredible deliverance, the people of Israel end up going into the wilderness. They Pharaoh lets them go. And as they're in the wilderness, there's another problem that emerges. They're in the midst of a desert and they have nothing to eat. And so God provides manna from heaven, this this unique, supernaturally provided food that people are able to eat uh, in the midst of a wilderness that sustains them for 40 years. 
And these symbols, these, these moments uh, provide its incredible significance about how God rescued and sustained them through weary times in the desert. So it's not a coincidence that John announces that this particular moment we find ourselves in in chapter 6 happens during the Passover. Verse 5 and 6, we see, lifting up his eyes then and seeing that a large crowd was coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? He said this to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. <laughs> so here's the first point. God provides a crisis. Oh, uh, yeah, you, you heard me right. God provides a crisis. See, verse 6 makes it clear that Jesus creates and sets up the tension between the disciples' ability and the, what the ministry of the people were. And there was a huge gap between the two, and it's something that Jesus himself creates and surfaces. I mean, we already knew that it says Jesus already knew what he could do, what he was going to do. He could have snapped his fingers and solved the problem, but instead he creates a crisis in order to stir up the sense of anxiety. Why? Because Jesus not only wants to provide food, he wants to provide faith. You see, this is not just about just a one-time meal that he's trying to occupy or to sustain, but he's wanting the disciples to be able to have in their mind a greater perspective of who he is. Maybe, maybe today, we find ourselves in a crisis not because the question is, can God do it? Can God, is God still the God of miracles? But maybe he's trying to teach us something about faith, about who to lean on. Some of us may have thought that it was our ingenuity and, and it was our abilities that got us to where we are. And God is in this moment saying, actually, are you attuned to me? Look at verse 7. <laughs> You'll see what, that, what I mean here. Verse 7, Philip answered him, 200 denarii worth of bread would not be enough for each of them to get a little. One of the disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, there is a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish. But where are they for so many? So they, Philip and Andrew, they respond to this test by looking at what they could do in their own strength. Philip says, not even a year's worth of wages, 200 denarii was about the equivalent of a year's worth of wages. He says, not even a year's worth of wages could provide what we need for this amount of people. Andrew says, look, all I got is this little boy that got like a, a little lunchbox, some, a lunchable with, with five loaves. And just so we're clear, when it says loaves, he's not talking about like a, a, a loaf of bread like we get in the store. This is talking about like a little pita, like a pita pocket. And he's saying, that's all we got. And we know that even that is a sign of poverty because barley was a type of food that only the poor of the time ate. So this is a poor boy. And, and, and Jesus is highlighting this to realize that mere human power was inadequate to provide the solution. So Philip, in a sense, was right. But Jesus wasn't asking about the financial cost. He was asking about where the food was going to come from. And many of us need to ask that question. What am I depending on for where the food is going to come from? Here he tests them and he prepares them for tests to come. Why? Because Jesus is a teacher and he wants to get us involved. He says, I'm not just going to feed you. I'm going to teach you. 
You know, the word crisis uh, comes from the Greek word, and in Greek, crisis means judgment or test. It's a test to see what is really inside of us. Jesus says in verse 10, have the people sit down. Now, there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down, about 5,000 in number. And we're going to see here that God not only provides a crisis, but he also provides an opportunity. Yeah, there's an opportunity in every crisis. Look at what happens. Jesus instructs the disciples to organize this hungry group of thousands who have been hearing Jesus teach. They were in a remote location that there were no restaurants around. They were far away from their homes. They had stayed out all day to hear the message and the teaching of Jesus. And what it was, the culture of the time meant that there was an expectation if you drew people out to have this type of time of ministry, that it was only right hospitality to feed these people. So there was a burden and there was a pressure. Now, the other thing that this text reveals to us is it says the men sat down and were 5,000 in number, which that means is that, they, that they're only counting the men. So the, if you include wives and children, most people estimate that this crowd was about 15,000 people. And this crisis provides an opportunity But in order to see it that way, you have to see through the eyes of faith. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine being in a scenario where it's like, okay, um, we don't have enough money. All we got is this little lunch box. All right, so this is what I want y'all to do. Just organize people like they're about to eat. (laughs) I mean, you know how people like get hangry? Like they, you know, they're not happy about this. So they're like, yeah, so we're about to eat. And the disciples are like, um, uh, yes, I guess. Can you imagine that? Well, I know one person among us can. And that's our lead pastor, James. You see, when he and uh, his wife, Natasha, moved from Atlanta, Georgia, to plant a church in New York City, all they had was five loaves. Him, her, Faith, Leah, and the Lord. <laughs> like, that, that, was the, that was the five loaves. And there was this sense of, like, how am I going to provide ministry opportunity? How am I going to provide a space for people when I have no money and have no opportunity, no place to, to have them be? And look at where we are six years later. Because what was a crisis became an opportunity. In verse 11, here we go. It says, Jesus then took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated, so also the fish as much as they wanted. Mm, mm, mm. So you see, God not only provides the crisis and the opportunity, but the provision. Now, that might be, sound like a bit of a repetitive, God provides provision. But I want you to see that this word provision comes from the Latin word. There's two words. It's a combined word, pro, videre. Pro means before. Videre means to attend to or to supply one's needs. So you put it together and provision means before you saw that you needed it, I attended to the need. You see, God already knew what he was going to do in the situation. And even before you realized that you were going to be in need, God knew and set up the scenario. Provision is what he provides. Do you realize that no matter what your situation is in today, God did not, COVID did not take God by surprise. He was not in the heavenlies like, oh snap. I, look, your 2020 plans might've got upended, but God already knew we would be in this situation and there's already provision that has been accounted for so much so that it said everybody had what they need. But not only that, in verse 12, it goes beyond that. And it says, and when they had eaten their fill, he told his disciples, gather up the left." 
over fragments that nothing may be lost. It was leftovers, y'all. There was leftovers. It wasn't just an aspect of provision, but God provides abundance. Can you say just abundance? One, two, three, abundance. He provides abundance in the midst of a crisis. Now, to (laughs) expound on this a little bit, the boy had to give all he had to Jesus. He didn't know what was going to happen. The disciples had to risk embarrassment in front of their peers and in front of their friends in order to experience this. So so to experience provision, you must be in submission. I got to say that again. Okay. To experience provision, you must be in submission because submission means to be up under the mission of God. And so if I am under that mission, then he can see ahead of the needs that I have and provide them and be in alignment knowing that the resources are going to flow in the right place. You have to, it, it, but there's risk involved. There's risk involved. The other thing is Jesus gave thanks for what was not nearly enough. Do you see the pro? <laughs> Jesus took the, the little lunch and he gave thanks for the food before it had manifested it as enough to give to other people. Do you give thanks for what is not nearly enough? You know, the thing about the Lord's prayer is it says, our father who is in heaven Hallowed be your names, holy is your name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, a, a, an express, a, a expression of praise. Then give us this day our daily bread. The, the request comes after the praise. Can I praise God when there's not enough? And the other thing about this is in contrast to the manna experience that the whole Passover, because uh, if you go back to Passover, all the, the, the manna came down and it was only enough for one day. And it was only this manna, this bread-like wafer-like thing. Jesus here provides bread and fish and there's more than enough. You know, many of us a few months ago saw, this feels like like last year, but it was just in January, there was a story where this young man uh, of DeAndre uh, DeAndre Arnold, his mom Sandy uh, and him had the problem because he was about to graduate from high school, and but the problem was because he went to this school, this small school that wouldn't allow his locks to, to be long, that they said, look, unless you cut your hair, you cannot come back to school. And, you know, he, you know, his dad was from Trinidad and, and, and he wanted to be true to his roots and all a lot of his men of his family had long locks. And I know what it's like to have that type of hang time and I'm not trying to cut that and to be like, yo, like, no, I'm not doing that. And so as a result of that, he essentially got expelled from school. Now, this became national news and it was a crisis. But some people saw it as an opportunity. So by the end of that next week, we see this brother on Ellen and Alicia Keys is coming out with a check for $20,000 for a scholarship. Gabrielle Union invites him to go attend the Oscars with his entire family. And what was a crisis turned into abundance. You see, when we trust God, he can turn (laughs) a crisis into abundance because God does impossible math. 
You see, see, it's not just regular math. He, he does impossible math. Impossible math is like 15,000 people divided by two fish and five loaves equals 12 leftover kits and baskets to go. That, that's how God does his math, right? Like God does math like, okay, this person only has 20% chance of living, but then I'm going to flip that in. They're going to walk out of the ICU completely healthy. I remember being in the scenario where I'm like, oh God, where am I going to find a, find a spouse? I don't see anybody around me in my college that loves the Lord and loves Jesus, I'm probably going to be single until the, you know, I die. And then it was like, well, you didn't think about this place that I could provide over here at this church because I'm not into the statistics or the probabilities because I'm God and all I need is one. God does impossible math. See, it's not your job to feed the 5,000. It's your job to offer up the two fish and the five loaves. God does the rest. What are your five loaves? What are the five loaves that might be near and dear to you? It might be all you got. It might be the thing like this, this little thing can't provide for others, but God can do above and beyond. In verse 13, we see, so they gathered them up and filled 12 baskets with fragments from the barley loaves left by those who had eaten. When the people saw the sign, that he had done, they said, this is indeed the prophet who has come into the world. God provides himself. Ultimately, the greatest sense of provision is not the material needs that we have, but it's the intimate encounter in a relationship with the God who dares and cares to show up in our circumstance, in our situation. Now, the people's reaction shows the gravity of this sign, and we can't overstate it. They look at this situation, and they go, this is the prophet, not a prophet. This is a definite article. You see, since the time of Moses, the Jews were awaiting the arrival of one who was to come to fulfill what Moses has started. We don't have time to look into it, but if you just make a little note for Deuteronomy 18.18, it is where Moses refers to to a prophet who will come from among you who will also be powerful in his authority and his provision and they were been waiting for this pun to come for all this time and when they saw this miracle that Jesus attended which by the way was the most publicly witnessed miracle that he had ever done 15,000 people and not only was it the most attested one, but it also is the one that's recorded in every gospel. The only other miracle that's recorded in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John is the resurrection itself. Why? Because this sign was pointing to the fact that Jesus himself was the one that we're waiting for, is the one that I can put my hopes in, is the one who not only can provide for my needs, but provide in abundance. But ultimately, it's about providing himself. And, and, the, and to give us a picture of that, he... <laughs> He gives the disciples these to-go leftover trays with the aluminum foil on top with the plates so to help them remember, oh, you came in with two fish and just a loaf of bread, but I, you came out with stacks on stacks. Y'all know how y'all do at the barbecue, right? When there's abundance and people are like, yo, there's too much food. We can't stay, keep it here. Please keep, just, just come. It was a reminder of the miracle. Then lastly, Verse 15, perceiving that they were about to come 
and take him by force to make him king. Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. Last point is that God provides a challenge. Because you see, the reality is they got the message that Moses provided bread from heaven, but Jesus is providing the bread of life in his very self. But there was a perspective and an anticipation and an assumption, an agenda that they had that was different. Look at what it says. It says they, Jesus perceived that they were going to take him by force to make him their king. You see, they wanted Jesus to fit their agenda. At this time, Israel is a colony of Rome, similar to how like in American history, the the U.S. were the 13 colonies of of Britain, and there was a king that was over them who who was oppressing them. And as a result of that, they, they rebelled against that. And they were thinking, the people were thinking, oh, this is our opportunity to rise up against Rome. And so they were going to make him be this Messiah as they had envisioned. And so as a result of that, he withdrew himself. And unfortunately, many of us today are still trying to fit Jesus into our personal agendas. Oh, yeah, we we see it on the news all the time, right? The political agenda that people try to put Jesus into. But I got news for us. Jesus is not a Democrat or a Republican. Yeah, Jesus don't got the, the, the rock and the elephant on the blazer and there's no uh, party of choice that is his. The question is not whose side is Jesus on. The question is on what side are we on? But not only from a political perspective, but also from a personal perspective. And we have to be really careful. I, I got to. We got to be careful when we start talking about name it and claim it. And speaking things into existence. Because the reality is that it, we, we can get this picture of, of God and, and Jesus being like a, a genie in the bottle, right? And that we just rub the lamp and he gives us whatever we want. And as long as we say it out loud, he gives it to us. But if you remember in the story, genie was a slave. Aladdin was the master. But in reality, we're supposed to be the bond servants of Jesus, and he's supposed to be the one who tells us what to do and where to go and whatnot. And so it's one thing to have faith. It's another thing to try to try to demand that just because I want it to be, that that is what God wants for me. I got to give space for God to be God and do it differently. And the thing I love about Jesus is he gets himself into the game. He doesn't just do this hypothetically, but he does it practically. Look at what happens in Luke chapter four, when he, it says that the spirit drove him into the wilderness to be tempted of Satan. And it says in Luke four, verse three, it says, the devil said to him, if you are the son of God, command this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered him, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds of the mouth of God. Do you realize he's quoting Deuteronomy 8 verse 3 the very next verse after the verse that Moses explains the Passover what he's saying is that and here's the other thing the spirit drove Jesus into the wilderness you know what word that is in the Greek ekbalo the spirit cast Jesus into the wilderness into temptation into suffering in order for to strengthen him for the mission a servant is not above his master. If Jesus is being ekbalo into some suffering, guess what? We are too. 
We're being sent into some hard things. And in the midst of that, he fasted for 40 days, no water or bread. And in the midst of that said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds of the mouth of God. He understood that the test was to draw him to himself and that there was a greater vision and mission than what his desire was, which is what God's desire was for him. How can a good God work for our, through our unanswered prayers? Can, is God big enough to still be good in the midst of not answering what we think is good? Well, it's because God answers prayers in a way that his does impossible math. Are you okay, though? Here's the question. Here's the question. Are you okay if Jesus doesn't do it how you want it to be done? Is that okay with you? You see, the crowds weren't. They were, they were content to force Jesus into being the king as they had in mind and not the king of kings as he had in mind, which meant going through the way of suffering. And it is only when you put yourself into submission under the mission of Jesus that you find his provision. I had to learn this myself. Some of you guys know that uh, a few years ago, my wife Tamika and I, we started leading a music ministry. So what happened was we had gotten this call from God, a very clear call. We were living in Orlando and it was like, okay, you need to go. We were felt like we were ekbalod to Indiana and we raised up a team of people. But because you had to, the, in our ministry, they needed to raise their own salaries through donations. And that, that had to happen before they could come and start doing the music ministry, right? And so there were five people that were on that team that had to raise those funds and only two of them had raised the funds and the other three had about $12,000 left to raise and there was only two months left out of about a year. You only give people about a year of time because you don't want people struggling for the rest of their lives doing this. And so they had about a year to do this and we're in month 10, month 11, and there's $12,000 left. And I remember the Lord kind of calling us like, okay, um, what do I tell the team that's here? Do I start making like plan B and just start saying, well, you know, we got a singer and a vocalist and we can kind of work that. Or do I stand up flat footed and tell them, look, we still believe God can do this. And so we decided to pray and fast and call out to God and just go all in for the next two months. Don't you know? And God be playing. A week beforehand, another missionary had a, a, a surplus of, of funds come in through something that he had done, an initiative that he had done. And another missionary gave us $12,000 the week before the deadline to give them what they needed and have the band that we needed. Because God provides when we give him our two fish and five loaves. God still provides. He provides hope. He provides healing. He provides protection. He provides power and he provides creativity. He provides those things. Do you realize that during the last Great Depression, the Great Depression that we had, this is some of the things that emerged throughout that, that, that time. The electric razor, the car radio, and probably the most essential of all those things, chocolate chip cookies. All invented during the Great Depression. What are your five loaves? What are the things that God is calling you to offer to him so that he can do exceedingly abundantly? Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you that you do exceedingly abundantly above what we can ask or even imagine. We pray that you give us the faith to trust you so that we can see you move. We can see your provision when we come up under your mission. We thank you and we praise you for this time and for this day for a crisis that will turn into abundance and that will turn into your presence. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. 
We hope today's message was encouraging for you. We'd also love to hear how God used this message to speak to you. We hear from people all across the country about what God is doing through our podcast, and we'd love to hear from you. You can email us at info at bridgechurchnyc.com. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram. Our handle for both of those social media outlets is at bridgechurchnyc. Our website is bridgechurchnyc.com. If you're in the New York City area, we have services at 4 p.m. and 6 p.m. on Sundays at 98 Fifth Avenue in Brooklyn, New York, right next to the Barclay Center. We are praying for you and we hope to see you soon.